and welcome to part two of James Bond and Friends Spectre Watch Along. Uh, we split these up. Um, this week, James Bond has been seeing everybody he knows in the world right now on character teaser posters, uh, which is kind of weird. So I'm your fill-in host, James Page from MI6, and this week I am drinking a Modelo Negra, which is like Mexican Guinness. It's very nice. Um, so we're going to open the video up at one hour, 16 minutes and 55 seconds at Spectre, which is the very opening, very beige shot of Tangiers. Um, with Bond and Madeline walking up the steps. And this week, I am joined by the same crew as last time, Bill, David, Calvin, and Dr. Lisa. Would you like to introduce yourself, guys? Hi, everybody. I'm Bill Koenig. I run a blog called The Spy Command. And I uh, this week, I started a sort of sub-page of that blog called the Sean Connery Hairpiece site, um, <laughs> looking at uh, Connery's different toupee styles. Uh, so far, and I'm um, right... Uh, I'm up through you only live twice. Congratulations, Bill. Mm. Yeah. Uh, David Lee here. I run the James Bond dossier. I am author of the com- complete guide to the drinks of James Bond. I'm having my usual rum and coke. I'd, I'd also like to, to point out if you are listening at home um, using a, a PAL copy, it won't be one, one hour 16.55. The time will be slightly different because uh, the, the speed runs, uh, I think, 4% different. So uh, uh, you'll have to find out for yourself, I'm afraid. And I'm Calvin Dyson, and I have a YouTube channel dedicated to looking at all things Bond, books, uh, films, games, all that sort of stuff. And I'm drinking tonight a Chambord which Ooh. is, uh, yes, very la-di-da, which is uh, Chambord and Prosecco. Uh, that must go with the video essays. Yeah, yeah, yes, it, yes, it does. We're all rather highbrow tonight. <laughs> uh, I'm Dr. Lisa Funnel. I'm an associate professor at the University of Oklahoma. I am the author of the Geographies, Genders, and Geopolitics of James Bond with the amazing Klaus Dodds. I am editor of For His Eyes Only, The Women of James Bond. And today. I am drinking an apple martini, which, let's be honest, is just like equal parts vodka and apple juice. But I did put like a little garnish of like a piece of apple in it and put it in a fancy glass. So, Did you shake it or stir it, though? It was shaken. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Usually I drink it stirred. Today we're, we're, we're going to be a little shaken. <laughs> so everybody got their copy up at the... Uh... The Steps of Changiers. Yeah. All right. This is weird. This is the first watch along. We're not going to have a lion because uh, we're midway through. There is a fish so. there on the left on the building. All right. <laughs> if any, if, all right, Calvin, as you suggested it, oh, um, no. you could be a fish. <laughs> in, or, or it might be a bishop's mitre. <laughs> Oratory. Yes. All right. Three, two, one, play. <laughs> oh, Calvin. So uh, the the background of this and the foreground are two different uh, elements which are CG'd together. Oh wow, that's incredible! Yeah. <laughs> I thought you'd be impressed with that, David. I am. I am. It's uh, filmmaking is truly amazing, <laughs> and your knowledge of the the film too. Hmm. So in the Roger Moore era, we'd have nice little vignettes of the locals and Bond getting to know Madeline and stuff. Uh, yep, straight to the hotel. 
Watch out, Bill. This is usually where the kind of place that Michael G. Wilson hangs out. Oh, right, right. <laughs> is he in this scene? I never spot no. him. I don't even know what he looks like. To be no, it's honest. just like so similar to the quantum foyer of the hotel. I mean, he, almost all of them are, uh, yeah, no, no line of dialogue. And uh... so I've got a question, which is where's the nearest Home Depot? Because I'll be in queue because Mr. White went and got drywall, plaster, paint, <laughs> And smuggled it up to the hotel room. <laughs> every his, time. Every time, every year. <laughs> that is true. Maybe there was like a crane like they had in um, Honor Majesty's Secret Service, just like bringing it to the window. <laughs> <laughs> nice also, to see you again, Mr. White. Here's your plaster. Well, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe if Bond had gone, gone around the corner, there was actually a door there as well. <laughs> also how long ago did specter do this work in this room because you know we see a vhs tape about the interrogation of vesper lynn and okay so vesper lynn died in 2006 at least according to what we were told in casino royale so um well the ocean club had dvd recording of of um, security cameras in 2006 in the right. Bond universe, but Spectre had a VHS. Yeah. So clearly all the budget went on that call center. Yes. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. So, so they, they bought, uh, they bought old VHS recorders on, on eBay. <laughs> you know, one of the most dangerous things in this shot it's the reason why I wear dark clothing. I'm very clumsy. <laughs> Drinking red wine while wearing a white dress is like, it, it's like a disaster waiting to happen. And I'm not sure how um, Leia Sado, like how steady her hand is, but I probably would have spilt that all over myself. <laughs> Particularly if you had drunk as much wine as she supposedly has uh, consumed up to this point. And see, the mistake she made is she didn't have an omelet first. <laughs> <sighs> Because that would soak it up, right? You can go through two bottles if you have an omelette. Yeah. Or quiche. Sorry, quiche. Yeah. <laughs> well, Bond calls it an omelette. Right. <laughs> this is such an awkward scene. Uh, the the little trip that she does and then falls into his arm always sort of prompted some kind of a faint groan from every audience that I ever saw this in the <laughs> cinema with. And uh, funnily enough, um, obviously you know, I, I saw this always in London and English audiences were not always very reserved and we don't sort of like make too much noise and whatever. Um, the One of the strangest experiences I've had was watching this scene where I think it was like the second or third time I saw the film and the bit where Madeline says, I think it's coming up where she says, ah, oh, there's two of you. Um, mm -hmm. uh, bearing in mind the audience has been completely silent throughout the entire thing and when she says there's two of you someone shouts out three way in the <laughs> cinema it really <laughs> strange to, to no laughter at all no one responds to this and it's like the only sort of uh, moment of uh, audience interaction in the whole thing very strange I was about to say if this were the 1980s you know with Tarzan yells and Beach Boy songs uh, when she does that trip you would have had a music cue like wah wah <laughs> but I, 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 I like this scene but it, it, the the problem with it is it's far too quick and it's kind of yeah. sudden. They, they, need, they needed to pace She gets it. drunk in like 30 seconds. 
Yeah, well, some people do. I mean, mm. I've, been, I've been known to do that. But, uh, <laughs> but she, she also somehow gets changed into a negligee, even though she's passed out. Uh. Do you think that's a, that, that has to be a continuity error? Because oh. like, I don't want to think that Bond, while she's passed out, took off her dress. Hmm. Okay, now we've got the CGI mouse. That's really good CGI, I think. Mm -hmm. like, yeah, that's very, very good. I've always thought it was a real mouse. <laughs> I did too. I, 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 it wasn't until after I saw the movie that I heard there was, you know, a CGI so, mouse. You know, that's the kind of thing I wonder, like, because this is a set of pine, pine wood, right? Um, would it have just been quicker to have somebody come in with a trained mouse and a piece of cheese than... <laughs> yeah, they, they than, have a bit, of, a bit of cheese on a bit of string and then they use yeah. CGI to remove the cheese and string. Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Rather than create a CGI mouse. I mean, it's like painting the wires out is a lot cheaper than... We did an interview with the people that did the mouse. It's in one of the magazines. Yeah, that's the depths we go to. Yeah. I think I read it as well. <laughs> it's so memorable. <laughs> <I'd>... <laughs> but I mean, that's where the budget of these movies just blows up. It's like, oh, it's easier just to get VFX out to create a CGI mouse rather than getting creative. Mm. Um, like the old days. Yeah. Oh, here we have Hulk Bond demolishing the wall. So what do you think about this sort of pro like so in some of the earlier films and and usually it's like the early Connery era films Bond seems to have a lot of knowledge about hotel rooms right and he can sort of set things up and even in the Brosnan era uh Die Another Day there's a reference to it you yeah. know he was aware of the fact that there were there was somebody uh, on the other side of the mirror filming him mm -hmm. and, or having a camera here. He just doesn't seem to have any sort of knowledge of these places or these spaces. And I don't know if that's just an element that has been shed in the Daniel Craig era. Um, but it just seems just a little bit strange to me that, that he would just sit in a room hoping for a sign to show up about, you know, what's going on in this particular location. Like to me, that just seems yeah. a little bit strange. It's not very spy. Like, like he did. No, see it's, it's, house, a, but. it's a freaking huge room as well that's hidden so the <laughs> the entryway would be like this big l shape you know to walk around it it's like it makes no sense <laughs> the other thing is like where's all the dust come from if it's sealed yeah. 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 <laughs> this reminds me of the bruce lee parody in the film kentucky fried movie where it's like first he's like searching for like the uh microphones and first they're like really small and they they gradually get bigger and bigger and finally like there's like a guy on the floor with a boom mic you know following him around and all these big mics it's like here's this mammoth room right in, it's like it's like a you know it's like almost like a suite uh yeah. at least a good sized room anyway what do we think about bond's decision not to watch the tape uh uh, I, I maybe no time to die will I know obviously they treat the, you know they do these things one at a time and whatnot uh, maybe no time well, to die will make this kind oh, oh okay well you might know well, more than I do no, <laughs> well, I was just going to say is, uh, somebody uh, connected with the anyway basically they're already trying to uh, retcon oh we knew when we were writing Spectre that in no time to die we would do this so that's why we didn't signpost it i'm like uh, bullshit because okay. you had three different scripts mm. so no and and two different sets of writers and two different directors so there's no way when you were plotting spectre did you think that you were gonna tuck this element in to use it later in no time to die as well as and they're already starting to retcon it and i i 
cut bullshit on it. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, they're quite open normally about how they do these things one at a time. And maybe there'll be something in No Time to Die that, because I mean, for me, it's like, you know what, we had two films about Vespa and that was fine. Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace all about dealing with her death and everything. Don't keep, you don't need to keep bringing her back every time. And maybe No Time to Die will make that, you know, the, the entire five film arc for Craig's Bond is to do with her. But um, here is this film on its own standalone thing. I don't like it. We'll have, we'll have a competition with Ghost of Vespa or the DB5 as to what gets brought back the most in uh, <laughs> future movies. Oh, maybe have... Uh, Ghost Wilson. There he goes. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's right. There it was. And I no mean, line. I'll sort of throw back to answer your question. I mean, on the one hand, I'm a big believer that if something is over with another person... I don't believe in like being friends with exes, you know, scanning their Facebook posts. I think all you're going to do is bring hurt on yourself. So I can understand the desire to not do that. But I think the film is trying to showcase or at least send us the message that he's over Vesper Lind, that it doesn't really matter. And that in this moment, I really feel like the rest of the film is trying to do a compare and contrast between Madeline Swan and Vesper Lind. So they both have mm. their respective train sequences where he gets skewered by Vesper Lind, but it's, you know, Madeline Swan saying, but what do you really want to do with your life, James? Like, I feel as though they're just constantly trying to one up Vesper Lind in this in order to show us that Madeline Swan is the right woman, that though the daughter of a, of an assassin is the best fit for Bond. So I feel as though it's a device that is being utilized from here on out to sort of compare and contrast the two women. And of course, Madeline Swan is seen as being more valuable or valued um, as, as an end product. Another quick use of a uh, CGI. They lengthen the train. Uh, uh, unnecessary CGI. Yeah. yeah. We need two more carriages. This is one of the contentious things, wasn't it, in the uh, the leaks, which was right. Sony complaining that they were building too many train carriages. Yeah. Can we just like re- remove one of them? And then they added some in CGI on the exterior. It's like... <sighs> yeah. And Lisa, to your point, um, you know, Madeline Swan is supposed to be, in effect, Tracy 2.0. And... Um, I was about to say, this isn't an early script. This is like the script, like a week before filming, you know, actually the last line in the film was Bond saying we have all the time in the world. So that that's about as subtle as a heart attack, Mm -hmm. um, which they removed. But uh, again, this, uh, I forgot the exact date, but it was literally a week before they started filming. It just, you know, so that idea was like way, way, you know, that lasted way, way late. And like the script before that, they actually had a henchwoman named Irma Bunt. Yeah. So, but she got removed uh, in the rewriting process because Irma Bunt was, uh, well, she was going to be a lesbian and she was going to be like ogling Madeline Swan. There was going to be something, something along those lines. So, but that went away. Again, my point being, this was going to be kind of a semi Honor Majesty Secret Service uh, for the Craig era, but they 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 backed off that um, as they went along. So, some guy tried to kill my dad. Oh, we can make him the villain in the next film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just as valid a hook as the Hildebrand Rarity Bookshop, which <laughs> purposed the way through in their 
for the fans, you know, right? Fan so, service. So when they come, when the film comes out, and they come back to tell you that that was their plan all along. No. <laughs> well, I mean, it's hinted at later on. It's like it's hinted at later on that it was Blofeld. Like, there's a moment where you know Madeline says, mm-hmm. "Oh, I don't remember meeting you," and Blofeld says, "Oh, I do." And it's just a, it's just a subtle moment, just left to linger. Yeah. One of the few things that I like in the film. And now it's like, oh no, actually, that wasn't what we're going for at all. Um, it's something else. Rules is I nice. This, I recognize this place. Yeah. Try the veal. <laughs> <laughs> All right for you, you lot who went. <laughs> Head of the Secret Service sitting with his back to the door. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Which I find to be interesting because, like, compared to, say, somebody like Judy Dench. You know, Ralph Fiennes as M um, is given this opportunity to sort of showcase his wares, to be able to be the man who knows where the gun's located, um, to sort of have his own Bond moment that, you know, Judy Dench's M really didn't have. And so it's interesting that they're going to set him up in, in that way of being capable and competent. But then he has his back to the door, which <laughs> makes no sense in terms of like, in terms of just spy instincts, you should be able to look and see the room or at the very least there has to be a good mirror. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> you can see the rest of, 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 of your surroundings. I think it's an oversight. Mm. So here's, um, is this your favorite color dress, Lisa? Oh my gosh. <laughs> so this to me is one of the ugliest dresses um in the bond franchise and i mean i can see some of the symbolism you know it's seafoam green and you know she walks towards him and he sort of has sort of the honey rider moment of like just sort of staring at her and instead of you know are you looking for shells i'm just looking at you shouldn't stare well you shouldn't look that way like there's banter there i get all of that but i was so frustrated when this film came out and i looked at the merchandise available for women and this dress was an option and i'm like where am i going to wear that dress like where will <laughs> i ever have an occasion first of all pale stuff does not look good on my on my with my skin tone and i'm like i could never wear that and i'm just like can't you give me a watch or like, <laughs> like you know a cool pair of shoes or something but so you're uh, saying you wouldn't wear it when recording james bond and friends <laughs> no. Well, in white tuxedos, I don't know what you're. <laughs> I, hey, you wear a you wear a bow tie when you record your podcast, right? Uh, your video YouTube videos, right? It's a clip on. Yes. We, uh, yeah. I'm wearing sweatpants and a t-shirt, so like that's a level up from like where we are right now. <laughs> I think wearing pants on a podcast is. Uh... <laughs> It's no means. It's no. It's no guarantee. <laughs> oh no! Are we doing a pantless po- podcast, friends? Here <laughs> we do every week. <laughs> <laughs> but, but we will all be wearing socks from our friends at the sock exchange, right? <laughs> okay. I find so it hilarious here's... that they did. They finally did a socks tie-in on the film that the director didn't wear them. Mm-hmm. No. Haven't so, thought of that. Yeah. So so here's uh, Hanks, and uh, the dining car is miraculously empty uh, as soon as he comes in because there were some people there <laughs> a minute ago. They saw him and they ran. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, this is one of these, like, I, I we talked about it, on a, I think, on a previous podcast. It's like, to me, this should have been the end coder of the film. 
Like, mm. like we watched, you know, Living Like Die the other week, which is just like this could be the end face-off, right? Between the the henchman has just lost his job because mm-hmm. you know his yeah, boss is going to be. I mean, the, the whole train sequence has a number of problems, and and part of it is that. But again, I think that the uh, the, the thing with Madeline is, is too short and too rushed. This fight comes too fast and. Yeah, they they dispose of hinks too too easily or or, or too quickly, and uh, you know uh, the the surprising thing is uh, spoiler alert that he doesn't come back after after he yes. gets chucked off the off the the, the train, and it's, yeah. it's it'd be it, funny if he was wearing like a neck a, a neck brace or something. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, if if in fact if they had decided to stick in, we have all the time in the world. Have the lash up, be the car drives on, the DB five drives on, and then there's Hinks in another car with the neck brace. Mm. <laughs> well, I was going to ask actually, Bill, was there a version of the script where Hinks did reappear later on, or was this always his end? Not the not the version I got. Um, yeah. He, he's he's but, just gone, and it's pretty clear. Yeah, he's. He, but putting he, this at the end also fixes the logic. Because why does Hinks know he's to go to Tangier? Why does Hinks book the same train? Why wait till they're halfway there to do it? You know, the, the logic yeah. of this makes no sense. And surely it contradicts Blofeld's scheme about getting Bond there so he can monologue yeah. to him about how he's yeah. ruined his life yeah. and yeah. everything. Yeah, so, yeah. So apparently Hinks is uh, disregarding orders, or at least uh, if not overtly disregarding he's dis- he's disregarding the spirit of his orders because you know blofeld wants uh bond to you know make it to the call center but- i just think it's such a loss to i mean dave batista has a huge fan following and even i recently posted a picture of like a tattoo on his finger and people were asking me is he coming back in the next film because right. it, you know he's sort of a jaws like character and we don't yeah, know if he died I, I i would have liked to see him come back because yeah uh you know, he he, oh, he he was just so so wasted in there this. There he goes. Yeah. Mm. Um, well, also, you know, physically, at least he's got some Heineken to keep him company. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? You know, he, he he wouldn't have been the right choice. But you know, physically, he actually kind of like looks the closest to Blofeld, at least as described in the Thunderball novel. Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, because Blofeld was like a big guy and what did he weigh? 280 pounds and once, you know, been very athletic, all that. I mean, you know, Hinks kind of matches sort of the general, I mean, in a real general way, that that description. And instead, we have another runt as Blofeld, you know, kind of following like the Donald Pleasance <laughs> mold. Because the uh, uh, when I first saw it, I, I initially thought that Hinks came back at the end when when they uh, take, when they take out M's car in the tunnel. Uh, there's a guy there, and for, for a moment I thought it was Hinks, and it would have made sense to for him to to be back in the story then. But I, mm, I, I right, just, I don't understand why they didn't. It, it's so well, stupid. Mm. Well, also, I might be looking forward to No Time to Die more than I am if Hinks was coming back and, like, mm-hmm. you, you would have, you know, with the promise of, like, he and Craig would have another, you know, one last big fight to the death kind of thing. But, and then Bautista clearly wanted to come back. He was like, he's like yeah. lobbying to come back. His price may have gone up. Mm. 
So are and we he, to believe that all their clothing is in those tiny suitcases? Sorry, Calvin, <laughs> I didn't mean to cut you off. It was yeah, no, no, no. Okay. The, the secret is in rolling your clothing rather than folding it, Lisa. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Because that's like the third white outfit or second <laughs> yeah. white outfit that she. I'm sorry, I'm I'm stuck on the white <laughs> outfits. I'm like, why? <laughs> but yeah, I. It's just it's and he's wearing multi-piece like a suit and a jacket have lots of pieces. Um, yeah, they're we, all there. yeah, this is just his white tux turned inside out. It's a reversal jacket. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when I first saw this, I I loved the. Uh, pulling up to the lair. It's it's a real property that actually went up for sale last year, I think. But it just gave me just Doctor No vibes and everything. It was great. And then it all, as soon as they cut to the observatory set, it's just like... Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think I think it was going for a couple of million or something. It's uh, yeah, it's, it's quite. But it, and it, it's it's not in this crater at all. So it's uh, I can't remember which city it's in. If we pool our money, we could buy it. <laughs> Meaning, some of you better have some good money. <laughs> we could do it. We might have to form a pretty widely ranging syndicate to have enough money. <laughs> Everybody gets 15 minutes. <laughs> a time share. Time share. <laughs> yeah, so this whole thing's a real place. And then when they go inside, it cuts to set. Well, they, they, that, that's what amuses me. It's like they went out of the way to find this interesting building, which could have cost them, you know, not much to knock up because it's just some drywall. Hmm. And they probably spent more to CGI in the crater than had they just built this. That's nuts. Yeah, God, I always thought that this was like some set or something that they, huh, okay, this is a real place, the building. And, the building is, but then when they show the observatory set, they built the door without the roof, and they CGI the roof on. Hmm. You know, I'm not sure this idea would have been any better than what we got. But you know, here we have this, you know, aide de Blofeld, the guy with the glasses. Now, the thought had occurred to me after I saw this the first time. You know, would it have been better if it turned out that the um, Oberhauser Blofeld is just a fake? You know, it's just. This is just something they said. So the real no, the theory is like anybody else in this movie would have been a better blowfell. Monica Bellucci <laughs> would have loved yes. that. Yes, Calvin. Uh, yeah. It would have been so good. The my, my thought about that, you know, the sort of nondescript aid was like, you know, someone who just blends into the background. Um, and it turns out he's the real mastermind. But That would have been fascinating. Like that would have been so interesting, this idea of like having somebody else be sort of the figurehead and a person who's in danger, right? If anybody ever discovers your identity, they'll kill you. But sitting and getting all that secret information, hearing other people's conversations, it really could put put you in this really fascinating position. Your your fake person would be flamboyant, yes. almost stereotypically villain, mm-hmm. whereupon the real guy is like um, – is yeah, is – and, and – um, oh, I'm trying to think the exact phrase. It was when Adolf Eichmann was on trail and it was something about the something of evil. And it was kind of how plain evil is because like Eichmann was like almost like an accountant, mm-hmm. you know, r- running the running the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's evil is kind of tends to be more like that than flamboyant, <laughs> you know, colorfully dressed, theatrically yes, speaking. <laughs> Yeah, this is the building where they built. They just built the doorway, 
and everything else is CGI. <laughs> huh. <laughs> Why don't they just make the whole movie CGI then? It's... <laughs> Right. So is he talking about the meteor or his penis? <laughs> Again, this was another sort of every time I would see this in a cinema, this would get a mumbling of laughter uh, when he says, touch it, touch it if you want. It was always, it, it's one of those things, it's, it's like the, the amount it, of... <laughs> touch it, stroke it and undress it, James. <laughs> <laughs> I compare this to spec, uh, Skyfall rather, where I felt like everything that the filmmakers sort of wanted you to feel that you laughed at the moments they wanted you to laugh at, you were in, you know excited, all the exciting moments, all this kind of thing, intrigued. Here, it, it, there are so many, like earlier on when uh, Bond and Madeline start making out on the boat, that was again another kind of laughter moment when she says, oh, what do we do now? And then cut to them making out. And it was like, I think that's not, I don't think that's supposed to be funny. I think right. we're supposed to sort of acknowledge that, oh, wow, no, this is the two of them really falling in love. But it just, it just doesn't play. And this is similar. They're obviously trying to do a whole silver thing where, you know, he does his speech and everything. They're trying to re repeat that, but it just doesn't work here. It's really badly handled. But Leia Sadu does some good acting here, though. Oh, I mean, she's she looks, great. Yeah. She looks genuinely uncomfortable. No, I think hey. she's a she's a whilst, great actress. Whilst, you know, I think they're trading I, dick jokes. She looks. Yeah. <laughs> I but think like she's her- a great actress. I think I said it in the last one as well. She's blue is the warmest color. She's fantastic. But um, here she's just, yeah, underserved by writing, direction, something. And her costuming, like her dress almost look, this is going to sound really bad, but the only thing I can do, I see breasts and a woman legs. Like that's the design of the dress. And I just can't get beyond sort of the imagery that is there and the fact that she, oh, this was a dress. you said that, Lisa. I can't unsee it now. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's all I see right now. And like, is she the woman for Bond? Is she, you know, is she going to be the mother of his children? Like, Spoiler. I'm. I'm reading Just way joking. too much into <laughs> way too much into you know this notion of like could she be the wife of Bond and and maybe the dress is signaling I don't yeah I'm just so distracted by that dress yeah I know now I am I'm sorry sorry to the <laughs> listeners I didn't mean to do that. That's all I can think about. Like, even when you're talking about, like, it's sort of like, are they talking about penises and stuff? And I'm like, look at her, look at her dress. <laughs> That's what I see. It's like Rorschach test address, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> this is a CG set, right? Behind, like, Wilson yep. Craig. Because it, oh, it, yeah. oh, it looks so bad. Yeah. It's like, it's a corridor. Build it. <laughs> yeah, that's my question. Or, or, it, or at least, or at least do at least like build ten feet of it and then paint it like they used to. Yeah. Do. <laughs> you can't spot those. Is it cheaper to do the CGI? Is that what the issue is? Then rather, I, like- I don't. I think the question is: Is it easier? Oh, easier. Yeah, uh, yeah it is because then you just outsource it to a VFX company. So this is the, did they get him a card and a cake or is he just <laughs> good luck on your next. Hmm. So oh, of course, you know, the... In, in the, in the original concept for this movie, you know, you know, Ralph finds his M turns out to be the baddie and all that stuff. So all of these scenes didn't exist because they didn't need them. Um, would have played out a very different movie. Hmm. 
But I'm, I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad Ralph Fiennes fought his corner and said no. <laughs> and this is very similar, I think, imagery-wise to Skyfall, and um, you sort of have like the combination of like Q's underground laboratory, and of course what Silva had. And if you put them together, uh, that's what the space actually reminds me of. With yeah, all the you just don't do, you don't have all the racks of servers out in the middle of the floor, but yeah. It's, it's <laughs> I, I also wonder the design because if you uh, is it like. You know, you get promoted, you get to sit on the upper tier because mm. the lower tier are just looking straight in the ass of the person in front of them. Yeah, but they're not facing each other. This was thinking of COVID. Mm. Thinking of COVID. This is the Facebook moderation department. <laughs> okay, let, let's see what James Page has All been right. talking about on Twitter. The bastard. That's right. That's right. Unsubscribe. Okay. Well, I'm going to jump the gun a little bit because, okay, there's going to be this thing that's going to be activated that will somehow make Spectre more powerful than it is now, but you don't know how. And it's like that will increase their ability to uh, uh, surveil people. But, like, they can already apparently, like, listen into any call. He's got, you know, Madeline's father, you know, committing suicide. <laughs> you know, a, a live video feed from MI6. Well, yeah. the, pro- the problem is with the surveillance thing is that surveillance only means something if you you know have a lot of it if you can continue doing it. So later on, we're going to get this whole countdown thing to like, oh, they need to stop the thing going live. But it's like, well, it doesn't matter if you stop it going live five minutes later, as long as you shut it down. They're not going to have the the right. surveillance, the information. So well, and, why, and it's why totally un- and it's totally unclear to me how this thing that's going to go live will help them in any way. Mm. <laughs> I, 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 it, I just fail to see how it helps them beyond their capabilities right now. It, uh, I've, just, I've just had a thought. It would be like, oh, yeah, we've got this great surveillance on Bill right now. And then the cable guys go in and, oh, no, we've lost it. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's like, can you imagine the guy, it's like, how's your day at work, dear? Oh, yeah, same old thing. And then this weird thing happened where, like, halfway through the day, my boss just switched all the lights out and showed us this snuff video of this guy killing himself. <laughs> yeah, maybe you should go to HR and talk about I think that this is my least favorite scene in the whole film, and I've never quite understood kind of what the intention is. I think because when I first saw this in the cinema, Bond is really—we do not see Craig's Bond like shout like that, like in in these situations. He's really acting very emotional in this moment, and it's I thought, isn't it? Has he noticed that they've like doctored the footage to make it look like he killed Mister White, or is it something like what's going on here? But I guess he just doesn't want her to see her dad shoot himself on the screen, which is all well oh. and good. Like, yes, I I get. <laughs> that on a, a human level but i i don't understand right. why he's overacting in this way i i the way i thought about it Kevin, was i don't think he told her he was there oh. and now she knows that he was there when she when he shot himself she doesn't seem bothered no well, but, well, he, uh, but earlier well, I, I, earlier he he does say that he was there he, he tells her it, that directly it, it, also it's it's not like she had a a close, warm relationship with her father. Um, you know, like, no, I've, I've, I've always, I've always taken it as that he's trying to protect her from, from seeing her father shoot himself. He, I, he knows what's going to happen. Yeah. She right. doesn't. Yeah. So he, right. he's, he's just trying. He's trying to uh, stop Blofeld from, I, from showing. Uh, I was also going to say, 
it's this moment that the film takes this left turn because up until now it had been, I, I described this in part one where they were trying to kind of thread the needle between sort of like classic bond and while maintaining the tropes of the, of the Craig era, the more emotional story arc stuff. But here it's like, ah, ah, that's done. <laughs> it's, mm. it's time. It's all angst all the time. We're going to give you a needle. Forget about threading it. Yeah, I hate I hate this scene because uh, I, I hate the uh, I hate the the needle. I hate the drilling and everything. It's, it's horrendous. It's completely unnecessary <laughs> as well. And 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 of course, it's based on the sequence in the Colonel Sun continuation novel. And so, this is the first time that Eon has actually begrudgingly uh, credited a um, continuation novel. They did it as, boy, as they, they tried to bury it as deep as they could in the end title crawl. You know, it's like special thanks mm-hmm. to the state of Kingsley Amos. And it's like, you know, it's like, you know, it's probably along, uh, I'm saying this hypothetically, you know, it's like probably like along with the caterers and other yeah. people. <laughs> it is, so going back to Phil's idea the other week of um, Pimp My Lair, the new HGTV show, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> We're just going to paint everything white. <clears throat> That'll make it evil, right? Or does it look like an Apple store? I don't know. <laughs> mm. But this was very much shoehorned into your point, Bill. It was, right. we need a torture sequence. Uh, yeah. What what can we use? Oh, this is great, babe. It probably yeah. took longer to negotiate the rights to use it than it would have took them to write something original. Mm-hmm. Be, be, because um, I, I mentioned earlier that script that I have that was dated, you know, roughly a week before they started shooting. This wasn't in it. Nope. Instead, we had this long talking sequence where Blofeld talks about, "Oh, you and I were playing poker, James, and you bluffed me. I'm very angry. I'm still angry. I became a supervillain because you beat me at poker. They're playing like, for play- us. Yeah, <laughs> we're even playing for money. You know, it's like so." I guess the moral of the story is be careful who you're beating at poker when you're a kid because you might be causing the creation of a supervillain. Real-time, X, <laughs> real-time X-ray there on his, uh, on his screen because, you know, that that's possible. I think this could work in theory. Like, it is that kind of, you know, the, the you know, no one likes injections and needles and that sort of thing. I think that's what they're going for, that kind of cringiness. I don't really... <laughs> Feel anything yeah. watching it? I know. Well, Purvis and Wade, you know, they did a really good job on Casino Rail, and that whole mm. the bit that was not seen in the film, it was off screen, was Vespa was having her fingernails pulled out mm. um, in the other room, and they obviously they didn't put any of that in the final film. That would have been, I think, way the audience could have you could feel that right by seeing mm. it. But with this, I still think it's a little too sterile. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, it, it's just weird. I, I, I hate the drilling. I really hate the drilling. I, I, I think it's this. I think it's the um, sound design that's the yeah, worst. Yeah, I, I, I think that it just reminds me of the dentist. You're right. I think for me, my issue with the scene is Christoph Waltz. Like, I don't feel anything. I don't feel like he is villainous. I don't feel like he is pretending not to be villain. I, I get nothing from him. I remembered watching the scene. And again, I haven't seen this in a very long time and I'm not listening to the dialogue, 
but I got nothing from it. I just felt nothing about the villain. Uh, Not good, not bad. I felt no emotions. And that's a very bad place as an audience member to be. You want me to feel something towards the main characters and towards this conflict. I feel as though Leia Sadu is really trying to act through this, you know, mm-hmm. giving us the emotions, but there's nothing to work with because it's a very sort of sterile environment and there's nobody to play off of. Um, yeah. We're, we're also in this scene getting the quote reveal unquote that he's really Blofeld. And he said, Oh, I took my mother's name. And then a friend of mine said, what your mother was named Ernst Dever of Blofeld. <laughs> <laughs> this is a, a horrible, horrible moment because it means nothing to any of the characters on screen. And it barely means anything to the audience. It's yeah. like, so your name's Blofeld. Who cares? It's like, it, it's mm-hmm. treated in the music as it creates it. It's like this like reveal moment, like, Oh, he's actually Blofeld. And it's like, well, it doesn't matter because it, Bond and Madeline, it doesn't mean anything to them. Like, why Why is this a big deal? And it's only a big deal because a part of the audience might remember that there were... An alternate films. timeline. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, ugh, I hate it so much. And also, they have him dress, again, in, in sort of like an updated version of Donald Pleasant's uh, Telly Savalas, Charles Gray. It's like, why couldn't they have had him like wear a suit or wear something else? It's like you weren't bound to have him wear it. Covered in cat hair. <laughs> yeah. And why have a cat? You know, like you don't need the cat. Mm. You know, I mean, it's a different timeline. You don't need those tropes. Mm. Again, it, it means nothing to like in, in the world of the film. It's like, it's really bizarre that he would have this cat just hanging around. And maybe it is in the older films. I don't know. But it's there just for the audience because we have the expectation. But it means nothing to anyone on screen. So treating those the elements as reveals doesn't work because it's, right. it, it doesn't matter dramatically. I, okay, I, I, I've got an alternative theory of Spectre now, which is in, in the early films, um, Blofeld wasn't the bloke behind the screen. Blofeld was actually the cat, and it was the cat giving the instructions. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I just point out that um, at the premiere, the I love you got a groan. Oh, really? Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Hmm. And again, they do nothing with this, like the whole element of like, oh, you will, you know, not remember anyone now. And it's like, well, that's an interesting thing that you could play with. Like, is Bond just kind of making this up? Like he doesn't actually recognize Madeline and he's just sort of like going along with it. It, But no, it's it's nothing. Blofeld just missed. Yeah, I wonder. And I wonder if they nicked this from Raymond Benson. And I'll, I'll tell you why, because after Benson finished his run with the Bond novels, he wrote his own novel, which was about. Was it a? De- it was about a woman who has face blindness, um, which is a real condition where mm. there's something squirrely with the neural network where you can't map people's faces to their identities. So you know them, but you don't know that it's them by looking at them. Mm. It's like they have to wear a name badge for you to know who they are, and that's what Blofeld tries to describe here, but doesn't. You know do what? It well. Wasn't there? Do you remember Adam- that, Bill? Well, I. Uh- I don't. I was also going to say, didn't, wasn't that like an Adam Sandler? Um, oh, what's her pew, name? Pew, 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 pew. A, mo- a movie with <laughs> Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore, I think. And it's like she woke up every day, could not remember. Now it's different from what you described. Oh, like yes. 100 um, first dates or whatever it's yeah, yeah, that's Yeah. But it's, you know, that's, that's 
what you described reminded me of that. And here we are on the uh, uh, Spectre video pew, game pew, pew, pew. set, set yeah. at uh, beginner level. So you know that, <laughs> that, that really funny theory which Kerry Fukunaga thinks he came up with, but it's been all over the internet, which is this is all the dream sequence for Bond because he's yeah. in the thing. It's like that, that makes sense that mm-hmm. he one-shots, headshots all these people. Because like, you would do that if you were imagining well, it, right? Well, and, and, and that has been done very well. Uh, an occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge where, like, the it's guy... It's a boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, I, but... I meant to crack that joke. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. What a two, waste what, of two money. Two and a half million worth of, of explosives and petrol gone up. And of all of the things to just pure CGI, I know that obviously elements of that are CGI, it's enhanced afterwards, but the fact that they did a big chunk of that explosion for real and it has no effect, it's such it a has, like, it, meh. It, it, it has no dramatic impact. I, I, I've, I, I've said this before. There, in The Man with Golden Gun, Bond and Money, uh, Mary Goodnight are trying to get out of uh, Scaramanga's uh, place and they go around a corner and then there's an explosion behind that, you know, something that was like much simpler, much less complicated to mm. do. And like that explosion has more dramatic impact mm. because you do get the sense they are struggling to get out of there in time. Yeah. And, mm. uh, so if totally. you like movies where the baddie's base gets destroyed with one act of the movie still to go, <laughs> you're going to love okay, spoilers. <laughs> so this is another one of those nods Hildebrand thing that went over most people the first time it went out but this could equally be the hook to a future Bond movie the way they write these though mm. I, I like how they use it though rather than it being the fish hmm. I like that short story I like the fish <laughs> I still think that should have been Stromberg's backstory oh yeah there you go but that's why Bond hates him because <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah uh, yeah, that would have worked well. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it would have been Bond and Stromberg would have been uh, Foster brothers when they were kids, and uh, <laughs> went fishing, and they went fishing, <laughs> and Bond caught the bigger fish. <laughs> I'll get you, James. Uh. So M goes through a bit of a roller coaster in this movie from bollocking Bond to saying he's on his own, to now, like, we're all safe because he's here. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, I never thought about that. Yeah, now it's like, I'll take my orders from you now. What should I go and do? So in one of the drafts, um, M has his squadron from his Northern Ireland days with him. His army unit that he used to command. Makes more oh. sense. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That'd be like the plot of uh, Ocean's Eleven, the original. <laughs> oh, and here we go. Like they, they had the helicopter ride, the plane back up to London, right. and only now does it occur to Madeline that yeah, one hour wait through security at the airport. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> All this killing, not for me. Gonna wander yeah. off now to the hotel that we've booked. The, where are we staying? What's going on? Doesn't what matter. I'm just gonna wander the streets. I need to leave you. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Dramatically, I need to leave you, so I have this reason now. But what kills me, and I think the angry part of me will come out, is the fact that, like, she makes the conscious choice to leave Bond. I'm not into this. That is fine. I respect your choice. But then her choice is taken away from her when she gets kidnapped, and she becomes a damsel in distress and, like, 
gets pulled right back into the entire situation. And I hate that fact. I just, mm. none of this sort of makes, it would make sense if Bond got out and she didn't, or you know what I mean? Or I don't know, just not this. <laughs> yeah, I, I I agree, for, particularly for how they're going to tie her up and throw her in a room in the old MI6 building. And then and then when the, she comes back on the bridge and they have this whole kind of like, uh-huh. is she going to be upset with Bond if he kills Blofeld? Because he had to kill people to save her in the first place. So this whole thing, it's it's really botched and I'm not quite sure what it's even trying <laughs> well, it's to be. it's botched because Purvis and Wade's ending was that Bond leaves her at the bridge and walks off with them. Oh, and really? Sam, and, and Sam Mendes changed it. What? Huh. Yep. No. Interesting. Yep. Huh. True story. I prefer that ending. That would make more sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do they walk off hand in hand? Uh-huh. <laughs> he just wants to make him feel safe. <laughs> but, right, this is where I thought it was Hinks. The guy getting yeah. out of the car, I thought it was Hinks. And it's not. But how can it not be? Oh, you and know what? And, yeah. and he's a big guy too. East Londoner that they got uh, right, but it would it would have been a perfect place to drop in Hinks, right? Mm. right. You know, yeah. surprise! I survived after all. If the actor, right, the guy on the left it, looks like a fat Christopher Nolan. <laughs> <laughs> if the actor playing that part um, is listens to the podcast, no offense, you did a great job. <laughs> Mm. Oh, in oh, uh, that moment, I was like, I mean, I love that shot, but I was like, my God, Q got shot. But no, I guess right. it's all just bulletproof. Yeah, he's just... Well, they have those um, very thin metal stands that they had in Quantum of Solace to deflect the bullets. Uh, also, <laughs> also um, Bill, Bill, Ta- Bill Tanner, action hero, as he was driving. Mm. <laughs> Get get your Bill Tanner action figure at the 007 well, store. Well, in in the books, in the books, Bill Tanner w- was uh, was a war hero. Did he did he have one arm or something? God, I can't remember at the moment. No, he he, no. he had he had all arms, but no, he was but he was also supposed to be like the closest thing Bond had of, to a friend in the service. They would like go to lunch together, yeah, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, Sit it, with their back to the door. <laughs> yeah, with, with with painted targets on their back, yeah. But uh, <laughs> And it's David Blaine. <laughs> and Hulk Bond breaks his bonds. What was even the plan here? Like, were the goons to take Bond in there and then meet Blofeld, tie him, him up on, there? Put him on speakerphone. Like know. walk him through the corridor with the pictures of all of the people that he used to know who are now dead. But, uh, <laughs> are you looking at this? Well, one one thing I, I'm really interested to know about Bond 26 is presumably they're going to have to reboot, but will they bring the MI6 building back or or has it gone for good in the Bond universe? Because mm. ah, that would be, yes, good point. Because mm. if you see it, then it's not. A different, that's a different timeline. Yeah. But if you don't, then it's this timeline, but completely fucked up chronology. Yeah. I have I to admit, I, I was going to say, I am not a fan of this particular scene and the pictures and the way that there's strings and threads that are going to attach ideas and oh. concepts that don't go together. I just... My yeah. biggest problem is, is two films in a row where Bond's home is attacked. 
effectively. Mm. It's like Sorry. I get the idea of flipping it around for Skyfall, and I, I like Purpose and Wade's idea on that, but yeah. it just seems lazy to do it again. Mm. He's got to wait for his two-factor authentication to come through on his phone. <laughs> <laughs> and this is like Max. Uh, Max Denby is the kind of guy that has more uh, code text messages than from friends during the day. <laughs> like when I see this, I think about the pre-credit sequence of Casino Royale. Mm, of, yeah. You know, being in the shadow, and I know where you keep your gun, and he has his own Bond moment, right? Right here. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. I, it, it, it does seem like a deliberate nod to that, doesn't it? And I think my frustration when it comes to the character of Money Penny is there's a really great way to plug her in as being sort of like a personal assistant protector uh, to M and have her be involved. But instead, she's on the ground somewhere. Like she's doing security or she's out with Tanner somewhere, but not being in a central way. And it doesn't make sense to me that you would leave like Q, who's the genius, who you need his mind sort of just with M to protect him. Mm. They do it in one of the Dynamite comics, I think, that I uh, read a, quite a while ago. I think it was in Varga, and uh, the Bond and Moneypenny scene is he goes in and she's, like, polishing this massive shotgun sort of thing, and he's mm -hmm. like, where'd you get that? And she's like, I'm literally the last line of defence between, like, if anyone <laughs> comes in this building trying to kill M, I'm literally the last person. Like, of course I have this massive gun under my desk. And I thought, oh, that's so cool. I love that. Uh, it makes perfect sense, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and this was this was a moment that got a genuine laugh at the cinema, where M yep. says, uh, "Oh, yes. we know what D stands for," and you, you have the big audience laugh, and then he follows up with "careless," and it's like I was gonna say, oh. con continuity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, just I, I guess it was a sensor reason why they couldn't just leave it. He had to put say "careless." Mm -hmm. um, yeah, because yeah, it's such a better joke just to leave it hanging. Yeah, and yeah. I. I, I, I I think they they were thinking of getting rid of it, but um, Ralph Fiennes liked it so much that uh, it stayed. Yeah. Here are all the ten by eights from the Eon publicity department <laughs> coming up. And again, I just don't know what this is supposed to be doing for Bond. Like, oh, he's put pictures around the place. Oh goodness, this is really serious business. <laughs> I'd love it if it was just like the end of it and uh, oh. Blofeld had turned into some kind of giant stop motion <laughs> spider. Bond's, Bond's becoming emotionally uh, disturbed uh, seeing these pictures. <laughs> <laughs> and we have it here as well. Like, what's he supposed to think when he sees a picture of like Le Chiffre or Silver on the wall? Like, what does that do for him? I don't understand. But uh, what's his name? The quantum villain and doesn't what, what seem to rage. Yes. <laughs> what are these rooms? Are they like yeah. rooms from a uh, gymnasium. <laughs> it's like, oh, Mr. White. I'll look over my shoulder. Oh, That's him. Mom. Oh, goodness. There's, mom. There's dad. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> mm, Going to carry on now. Okay. Oh, I hate it so much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, I know that people will probably be listening to this who enjoy the film, and that's fine. But well, I do. <laughs> oh, well, sorry. I forget that you're not defending it very well. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I don't like the end of it. I, I don't. I, I don't have to defend everything in it. Only the bits I like. I, mm. I did try a bit. So here, um, 
So now we have a so now Blofeld has a scar to mimic the Donald Pleasant scar, but apparently I I had not noticed this, but somebody spoiler alert someone took what a uh, still from uh, one of the No Time to Die previews. That was me. It seems that was oh, that's right that was it, and it's healed. Because I remember I, my comment, someone asked about that, and my comment was, I guess those doctors at the NHS are pretty good. Yeah, especially, yeah. <laughs> especially in prisons, yeah. And It's okay. just handy that MI6 had a bulletproof plate of glass kicking around. <laughs> so is one reason why um, Christoph Waltz got the job is because he's shorter than Daniel Craig? <laughs> <laughs> Just wondering. We haven't really uh, talked that much about the whole brothers thing. Uh, no, obviously, do we have to? <laughs> <laughs> well, I know that some pe- some people who I never hear people say they like it. I hear people say I don't uh, mind it, or like, oh, well, they're only a- it's not even a real thing because it's only half adopted brothers for a couple yeah, of winters or something. Like, but yeah, well, if if you're hoping for me to defend the film on this, Calvin, you're not going to get it because it's one of the <laughs> dumbest bits of. Uh, screenwriting that, well, in uh, the history of cinema must go, what, 120 years or something like that from the early uh, mm, films, yeah, yeah. and it must be one of the stupidest things to appear in a film. Yeah, um, I'm having I, I Michael, Michael Caine pop up as the dad. I mean, that's... <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 two things. One, I have dealt with someone who defends this, actually says it was a great choice. Ah. So, so there is one out there. Um, second, I mean, this is what irritates me. Um, so for years, Daniel Craig was saying a variation on, we can't be funny anymore because of Austin Powers. Oh, we can't do, we can't have any humor in the movies. Just, it, just the, the exact quote was Austin Powers fucked us. Yeah. Quote, unquote. So then, but for this movie, they go to the Austin Powers playbook. Mm. Daniel, you know, I would have loved if like one of the many entertainment journalists who got one of those little five minute interviews would have asked him that. But of course, most of those people don't probably don't probably even bother to research old quotes, but. Uh, Except slash Morris. Yeah. Hmm. Mm. Anyway, so now we've got oh, fight scene. No, scuffle scene. Yeah, <laughs> scuffle. I think that's right. Get, your, get your, a little too. Uh... Get get your M action figure at the uh, 007 store for three hundred dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Limited edition of seven thousand <laughs> and seven. Sorry. I'm sorry, but if if I was, I wouldn't be standing right on the edge looking down. That's just no. me. I mean, at least throw a punch. I think it's because they didn't want to make it over that M killed somebody. So it's a bit dingy in the MI6 building, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But the but the thing is that that moment before he fell, before C fell, and he's like swinging his arms. It's like. Oh come on! That's- <laughs> well, the other thing is in Skyfall, it's only the top center piece of the building that is yeah. blown up, but the, you, the whole building looks like it's just trashed. Yeah. Mm. It really bothers me how Bond is running through the entire building. He's presumably looking for Madeline, but he's not actually stopping in any room or indeed looking around. He seems to just sort of like, oh, I know the point that I need to get to, and he runs here, and then, well, what do you know? She's there. Yeah, uh, it's, it's like manic minor or something. 
apparently. I always assumed it was M's office. It is. Like yeah. He, yeah. Yeah. Like he's running to M's office and he knows that that's probably the heart of, of it. And I think he's surprised oh. that she's not there. And then he's like, Oh wait, she's behind a wall. Huh. Oh wait. Yeah. She's calling out and <laughs> jumping, even though she's gagged and uh, pale, pale. tied down. <laughs> yeah the heart thing makes sense actually i never considered that yeah still don't like you i'm leaving (laughs) (laughs) why does why does he need to carry her to jump you know how dangerous that is Mm -hmm. i'm assuming because he thinks that they'll only work once like Mm -hmm. the net will only I mean, we were only show, we were only shown it three times, so <laughs> it's like running, holding hands. Yeah, it, it's a connection thing, but at the same time, you run so slow when you're holding somebody else's hand. You two would be more effective just running side by side, where your arms can move and you're at a natural pace. You, you yeah, sound like you've got experience of these kinds of situations, Lisa. It makes me mad every time I see people holding hands running. Like, uh, you want to talk about, like, a trigger? That's when I'm like, why? Just mm. run on your own. Be a, an autonomous human being and just run. Mm. The insurance company is never going to believe this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's meanwhile. Kind of, kind of fight clubbish. Yes. You just want the pixies playing over in the background. Mm-hmm. So meanwhile, Bond is about to bring down the helicopter with what? PPK? Is that the only gun he shoots at it? Mm-hmm. I think so, yeah. Like, they really downgraded the boat in Q Branch, didn't they? This yeah. universe. It looks well, actually like a fishing boat. It's it's it's, <laughs> it's 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 the rule of James Bond films. If a gadget works, you gotta like make it worse in the next movie. Yeah, like how you only live twice, the safe cracking thing could fit in a suit coat pocket. (laughs) Would you you really keep a boat for a building that's like completely derelict? Like, wouldn't you have removed the boat? Right. Like, why would you just, it would be like keeping, oh, we just happened to have this. It's probably one of the most most valuable, easy to move things in the whole building. Right there. Okay, so he's firing from below, and but the... Uh, engine above was hit. Yeah, but that's a, that's a neat it, it, piece. From, from, that, from that distance, you you rely upon the the um, the oh, blades to to affect bullets flying down into the uh, engine. Does it hmm. work physics wise, David? I was going to say we need Kevin Costner here to <laughs> explain it to us, uh, a la JFK. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You, you just shoot you shoot it up vertically, and, and then uh, if you aim enough, it comes straight down in, into the engine. Yeah. Oh, just adjust for the speed. No problem. I think they did a really good job with this helicopter crash, though. I mean, it, it looks like it actually crashed on the rail bridge. Yeah. Yeah. One of those, we built the set, we better write it into the story now. Yeah. <laughs> we have to write it into the story. Mm. What do you mean, like the uh, the uh, rocket base in Canada? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, the rocket was in Pinewood, but the gulag was in Canada. Yeah. Can't talk about that in case they make it into the Bond 26. <laughs> 
Oh, I don't know. We got a good 10 years to wait on that. Yeah, but then, of course, they always plan that. (laughs) (laughs) So I know in some drafts, Bond does shoot Blofeld. Because yeah, I'm just surprised that the, the local police in Westminster know who Q, Money, Penny, and Tanner is to let them through <laughs> without any ID. They're the Scooby Gang. Everybody recognizes the Scooby Gang. These, these guys were supposed to be M's battalion. Hmm. I love how none of them are going onto the bridge. None of the police are actually going there. It's like, oh, there's just oh, just look, it- oh, look, yeah, it's James. There, yeah, just leave him to it. He'll figure it yeah. out for us. And the worst Bond villain showdown ever. I hate it. I hate that Blofeld is like egging him on, like, go on, do it. It's like, well, what good would that do anything dramatically? Like, I I guess we're supposed to think that Blofeld thinks he won't get to go off with Madeline if he kills him. And that's why he's doing it. I don't know. It's really confusing and strange. And Blofeld up to this point has not seemed like someone to sort of sacrifice his own life to make some kind of petty point to his adoptive brother. Uh, And yet here we are. It's dramatic, apparently. But like, this is the first time where I'm like, just kill him and get on with it. Like, yes. if, he go, yeah. if you go and imprison him, he's just going to get out or he's going to cause a kerfuffle. And, you know, there's going to be some sort of incident that he's going to be the mastermind behind. Like, just it's, kill him. James it's, Ian Fleming's James Bond in kerfuffle. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 like, it's, it's like Batman and the Joker. Like, Bat, Batman would have saved himself a whole lot of trouble if he just killed the Joker. Because, mm. you know, the Joker's always going to come back. He's always going to kill people when he comes back. And now he goes off with the love of his life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if, if they call Bond 26 kerfuffle, then they need to get some um, <laughs> a band in to do the song who doesn't actually know what kerfuffle means and write a song. About <laughs> it. Be, be a, a, a skiffle band. Yeah. <laughs> kerfuffle <laughs> performed by whatever. <laughs> See that on a see that on a post. Hans <laughs> 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 Yeah, he and ten of his uh, assistants. Oh, uh, somebody else that turned Hans will put his name on it. That's right. Yeah, Hans Zimmer could have hired David Arnold, couldn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe That's he right. has. M- music by music by Hans Zimmer. <laughs> Additional music by David Arnold. These 10 <laughs> tracks. <laughs> Police, ambulances, but no fire trucks, despite there being a fucking huge fire. <laughs> <laughs> right. With a, with a, uh, with a, a downed helicopter, presumably leaking fuel. Um, <laughs> oh, God. Now we get the bit at the end because the, the DB5 didn't know when to end. The, the car so do you want, will do you want to know some more un- unnecessary CGI? Mm-hmm. The building outside where they pull away um, had scaffolding on it <laughs> in real life. <laughs> so rather than shoot it somewhere else, they just paid some VFX company to paint out the scaffolding. Oh, my mm. gosh. That's well, where your budget but, goes, folks. Well, but, you so know, when you say save cinema, you're actually saving some poor, probably minimum wage guy in Korea 
digitally painting out scaffolding. But see, that was the whole motto or the whole MO of this film was it's like, oh, our last movie made a billion dollars. This one will surely make a billion and a half. So we're going to spend, spend, spend. And, you know, that's why we get the the $36 million car drive in Rome. That's why we get the world's biggest explosion in a motion picture. I mean, they wanted, you know, it's like this will be a big giant success it was successful but it wasn't quite the billion dollar level and it certainly wasn't a billion and a half and but they spent less if it was going to be a billion and a half and i think that's all well and good like in theory like yeah i love scale and scope and all those things like yeah give me all of that but do it well like it, it never has so much money felt so cheap on screen i feel as as this film uh, it's um, you to kills up. Yeah. So you don't think all that you don't think that they managed to put all the budget on, up on screen then, Calvin. Oh no, yes. I think I think I think they. You oh, know, they, they, yes, they, they did. Daniel Craig's talking to Christoph Waltz. The money's on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> I I suppose I. Well, no, actually, yeah, you're right. Actually, yeah, I don't think they managed to. Uh, sell the the money that they were putting up on the screen because uh, yeah, I, 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 I was just being facetious but uh, I, 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 don't, I don't I don't it's uh, it, I, I don't know why these films cost so much I, I, I don't see why this cost twice uh, Casino Royale and Casino Royale was a way way better film it, yeah mm. how you know, the, the, there's a few years between them, so you've got to take take into account inflation. But uh, the cost of uh, doing the effects has to come down because it's all computerized now, for example. Uh, and so, well, yes and no. But if you use it to like create a fake corridor, I mean, it's just <laughs> no, it, it, absolutely, uh, yes. But and but so that they're, they're spending in in the wrong places. They they could. They could have probably done it on the same budget as Casino Royale, and they they could have uh, you know they they could have had sets and they could have enhanced them with CGI, which would have been way cheaper uh, d- doing it this way, and rather than the whole sets being being CGI, and they may have t- turned up a, a better quality film as well. You know, I I, I do like Spectre. Uh, I, I don't have the same. Uh, dislike that that well many bond fans like you lot for example have um, <laughs> towards it but um but it, it's got so many problems as well it you know it, it, it's one of those films where um i, I i've said this before it, it, like with a man with a golden gun it's like well i i can't justify why i like the man with the golden gun i just do and it's the same with this really it's got so many problems i don't know why i, I like it but i do well, here's here's one part is, you know, they announced in the, I think, July or so of 2013, yes, new new Bond movies coming. Yes, here's going gonna to be in it. And the press release talks about John Logan has come with this great follow up to Skyfall. But at the time they made that release, and we know this because of the Sony leaks, all he had at that point was a uh, was a treatment. They, they, they signed off on a treatment, but there was no script. And they're like, you know, hailing it as this great, you know, great story. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, then when you had to then, you know, turn that treatment into a full-fledged script, suddenly it's like, <laughs> they're, they're running into problems. And, um, 
and, well, and it, was, right. it was always the third act was always the problem, wasn't it? Right. If going through the paper trails of the discussions. Yes. Yes, exactly. And what, you know, because also Logan had pitched this idea of, of a two part movie and then Dan, Daniel Craig vetoed it. So now he, you know, that's something else. He then had to like, okay, how do I cram all cram everything into a one, a single film? Um, so, yeah, I mean, there were just like a lot of weird things happening and probably neat. No one thing was probably going to be fatal, but like it's just kind of one thing after another. It just it, the script really was kind of, you know, had bad luck. And, and as you said, James, the problem was always the third act, which, you know, the ending is kind of important to a film. So you like you better know how it's going to end. I'm still waiting for that. I don't know if I've missed it because I've seen the construction crews, electrical crews, unit drivers, caterers. The guy that made the end credits is in the end credits. Um, and I'm still waiting for the thanks to Kingsley Amos bit to come up. It's, oh, you know, I'm my I can't te- believe the guy that typed in the end credits gets a credit in the end credits. It's mm-hmm. like, nope, still waiting. Well, we've had about two thirds of the credits have been the VFX teams, which I think says a lot about where the money went. Yeah. Uh, ah, the, 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 the they've outsourced all this to India. It, it was all it was all Indian names, and there were there were tons and tons and tons of them. And uh, uh, I, I don't know if India ha- has a reputation for visual effects. I mean, they, they do have a reputation for for computer know how, and uh, I have and worked okay. with. In- well, yeah, true. And I, I have. Uh, uh, have worked I think with, with with Indian companies. Are these the are these the songs? Let's see. Yeah. Virgin cocktails. What's that? Yeah, that that's that's the um, when they're at the Hofler uh, clinic. It, that's the the music they play there. It, it wasn't oh. it, it wasn't by um, uh, what's his name? Can't even think of his name now. Thomas Newman. Yes, Thomas Newman. Yeah. Oh, the Estate of Kingsley Amos. There it is. Yeah. It's like one of the very like along with like film. Neighbors and businesses of Mexico. Yeah. So it's so it's well after the guy who did the end credits. (laughs) 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 Which which again shows you how they're like burying that. uh, And Kingsley Amos. Pinewood Studios, Austria, Mexico, and Windows Ten. You know, we were talking about um, the that you know Monica Bellucci could have played Blofeld in it, but if they'd done that, then they would have had to have credited uh, John Gardner as well, because that's that's basically Mm. what happened in. uh, That's true. For special services. Services, yeah. Mm. Especially if her name was Nina Blofeld. Mm. Was it Nina? Yeah, yes, it was. that's right. That's right. And Christoph Waltz could have played the gay ice cream salesman, and I think <laughs> that go. would have been a much better film. <laughs> okay, that, that, that's an alternative universe. Christoph Waltz, gay ice cream salesman. That's what he is in Special Services. That's well, what the, and, the guy um, is. The other weird thing about for special services is you have both the you have both the daughter of Blofeld and the daughter of Felix Leiter, and of course, yeah. the daughter of Felix Leiter is trying to hop into bed with Bond, and Bond's resisting. But Felix anyway. is cool with it. <laughs> yeah. Felix, Felix in his wheelchair, right? Is that? 
yeah i can't remember yeah. i I, yeah. I do remember the very last ch- chapter is horrible because it's basically felix right i think he's writing a letter to bond isn't he basically saying like oh yeah well if you want to get off with my daughter that's fine i don't mind <laughs> it's like oh god it's really but bond doesn't thankfully oh my gosh because he had permission mm. it's like it's not interested now <laughs> he, he, had, he had permission yeah oh dear god it's a sequel it's permission to boink <laughs> oh, well, okay right I've got a question now why do Americans say boink I know you're not American but you live there so I've picked up these nice words oh god it's so irritating <laughs> there's, a good, there's, a good, there's a good English word and it's bonk Right. <laughs> Although I do have to say this idea of like met like a guy like a father giving another man permission to do anything with his daughter like I'm a huge Mark fan of like Draco. Yeah, like yeah. there's a thing called like personal autonomy and that's you know a woman if a woman wants to sleep with a man or if she wants to sleep with a woman um it's her choice and her choice alone and I don't think that especially if she is you know of the age of consent and there's nothing illegal going on. Um, she should, die, and no one's getting hurt. Um, she should be able to make that her own decision for herself. And it's not a decision that the men get to make about. No, uh, that's, yeah, that, that, that's that's what I was cringing at earlier. The yeah. fact that the, 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 the consent comes from her father, not her. It's, oh, yeah. it, and that was in the 80s as well, which I find really yeah, strange. Uh, that book was written like 83, something like that. I, I'm not. I'm not much of a fan of, of Gardner's books, but uh... no, me neither. As a sort of a, si- a as a sidebar, if you look at like, so somebody uh, has written an essay in a book that I'm working on about like sexual consent, and this person goes through like the legal definitions of consent, and this idea actually comes from like when it comes to sexual assault women were actually seen as property, either a property of their fathers or property of their husbands, almost like being incapable of giving consent. And sexual assault against the woman would be seen as being like a mar or uh, almost like 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 a, a loss of property value to either her husband or her father. And so like the way that the law has typically treated consent actually is very much aligned with this, this older way of thinking that you'd have to ask permission of a father, for instance, because he's the one who's in charge of his quote-unquote property which is his daughter so uh, yeah i just wanted to sort of throw it in that these are long-standing ideas and legally um women's bodies have been considered the property of men at least historically which is problematic and, and these laws are, are changing but mm. yeah uh, and again yeah, different parts of the world are running at different speeds right but i mean how how do you feel about like does mr white effectively say oh. here's how to find my daughter and look after her and probably knowing what look after her means and and knowing what bond typically does yeah hmm maybe yeah, the, the uh, what, what one thing one thing about uh consent that uh, just uh, I, I crossed my mind is it's not really related to this at all but it, it's uh it, you might want to say something about this that lisa was it, it, i think it must have been in the last 10 years because i i'm pretty sure I read it while I lived in the house that we live in now. And uh, and it was when they changed the age of consent in Spain. And 
uh, it's 16 now, but before that it was 13. I I know that I read something about, oh gosh, my memory is crap with this. Um, I read something about in Canada, they changed the age of consent and they were looking at um, the cases that came out of that, any sort of like legal cases. And they found that changing the age of consent, it didn't necessarily have an impact on younger people having sex. Uh-huh. What it did was it drew mm. more attention to the fact that it was typically older men um, who were having sex uh, with with younger women. And yeah. oftentimes there were some sort of familial relationship, whether it was like a father, brother, cousin, uncle, um, but that the age of consent, I, I didn't realize it was so young until recently it was moved. I up. just, I just, I just Googled that, which is probably not a good idea, mm-hmm. but, um, cause you know, if anybody's searching my computer, <laughs> like, um, it, it, it used to be 14 in Canada, it got bumped to 16. Yeah. Also. So yeah. same thing. So something very, very similar. Yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> after that detour. <laughs> <laughs> Aliens, mm. alien resurrection. <laughs> yeah, <That's right>. Terminator. <laughs> oh, Spectre and Alien Three have a lot in common, don't they? With uh, last-minute rewrites and third acts and the rest of it. Um, prefer Alien Three. <laughs> third, fourth, and fifth acts. <laughs> All right. So now that we've had a few years um, to look back on it, is it fair to say that? I can't see any situation where Craig didn't come back to do a fifth movie to try and undo the stink of this one as the end of his era. Hmm. Like professionally, I, I can't see him being happy with going out on this the way it was. I'm sure going into it, everybody had great intentions and everything, yeah. but when they saw the, when they saw the final product, I'm pretty sure he must've been like, yeah, this is not how I wanted to finish yeah. um, my era. So have another guy. Hmm. Yeah, uh, completely. Um, if if this is us doing our sort of a final wrap up sort of thing, um, oh, we're never going to ever stop talking about Spectre, are we? But <laughs> well, no, exactly. <laughs> yes, well, yes, that, I- that, that, that that depends on when uh, No Time to Die comes out and how good it is. Mm. Oh, I must say, I can't wait for that. I can't wait for there to be a new, new one after Spectre being the new one for five damn years. Isn't it funny how this film and License to Kill are the ones that have hung around in the public consciousness the longest? Yeah. Yeah. And they're both pretty divisive. And I I hope Spectre has the same kind of renaissance that License to Kill does in like 20 years' time, but I can't see it. I don't think it will, because License to Kill does have a lot going on in it, um, and and it's fun. (laughs) Whereas Spectre, I think, is probably the most fun deficient of the official Bond films. I think this, for me, like seeing this was a real like, oh my God, the Emperor has no clothes kind of moment. To think that all of the people that made Skyfall, a film that I absolutely adore, there were some... Uh, you know, crew changes. Obviously, Roger Deakins didn't come back, so it's not exactly the same people, but Sam Mendes in particular to come back, the screenwriting team, um, and make this, it was like, a, oh, wow, oh, this is this is not good that <laughs> the same people can deliver something so, yeah, fun yeah. deficient. Well, I think it also goes to show um, how filmmaking is alchemy, right? We've talked about this before, which is like you can put all the same ingredients in, do it again, and you get a completely different... Result. Well, mm. yeah, because like you mentioned the writing team, but with Skyfall, it started off as Purvis and Wade, and then John Logan came in to rewrite it, and then Jez Butterworth did a uh, 
a polish. And so mm-hmm. then in this movie, it started off with John Logan and supposedly Purvis and Wade so long, we're never coming back. And then scripting gets into trouble. Hey guys, come back. So, so they flip it around. In other words, it starts with Logan, mm-hmm. then goes to Purvis and Wade and then just Bedworth comes in for a polish. So it's like his role seems to be more or less the same in the two films. Although I guess he was like more actively involved with yeah. this one compared with Skyfall since he got a credit. Um, Somebody after one, I think the premiere of the press screening or something, I forget who said, came up to me and said, wow, as a Bond fan, Spectre's a boner killer. Huh. Which is not a very pleasant, like, you know, mental image of this movie, but... Um, yeah. <laughs> mm. Kind of just deflates your excitement, doesn't it? Mm. Well, like I said, you know, the the first half of the movie attempts to kind of be a, a amalgam of a classic Bond film, but done in the Daniel Craig style. And then, you know, you get to the you get to the Spectre Call Center and just like mm-hmm. boom, that's just something happens. And that of course is probably the start of the third act. So um, I don't know. It, uh, it also shows like you can have a ton of money and it doesn't solve your storytelling problems. Um, yeah. And there's, there's a good portion of fandom, right. That don't like the jokey films. Like they, they sneer at some of like the Roger humor and stuff, but I think Spectre goes to prove show that if you just completely remove it, right. Mm-hmm. That's not a good extreme either. Mm. Is it? But Inspector wasn't it supposed to be funny? It wasn't that, or, or, or maybe, or maybe it's with No Time to Die. They were talking about you know, bringing back the humour. God, no, Craig said it about this one in the yeah. in the run up. Lies. i think it suffers from a lot of the same problems that um quantum of solace had was that the previous one was so successful both Mm -hmm. uh, you know critically and commercially that they felt like they needed to repeat a lot of the same beats like quantum of solace is very much a casino royale part two continuing on the story and specter tries to do a lot of the same stuff with skyfall even you know at the start of the thing when money pennies like your effects from skyfall absolutely right on that absolutely yeah Oh yeah, and it, it, it's like we can't let it go. We can't let you know Judy Dench go. She has to come back for a for a cameo, yeah, and it's it, all it, about family it's all, and heritage. It's almost like it's almost to a certain extent. It's like they didn't quite know why uh, those films were successful, and mm. uh, and so they. But if we get all the same people back, we'll do it again, right? Yeah. yeah no, yeah. that's not how it works. <laughs> Well, and, and the DB5. So in Skyfall, when it blows up, that is an actually a, an emotional moment. Like, mm. oh, it's like, you know. You know what? I put that out on Twitter, Bill. It's like, does anybody like, does the, the impact of that loss on you just know that it comes back? And I didn't really have many feedback saying to agree with you that it's an emotional moment. I remember being in screenings of that with dozens of people I hadn't seen the film before. And they were like, all sort of an emotional moment at the time, that DB5 getting just blown up. Yeah. It was like, it's like some part of Bond just got killed. Right. And, but now, nobody seems to remember that was an emotional moment. Yeah, it's been successfully undone. I, mm-hmm. I, I think the, the, the DB, uh, at the time, the DB5 uh, getting uh, blown up was meant far more to the audience than Bond's house getting blown yes. up. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. True. And Severine dying. 
Right. Yeah. No, it's like now, but, now yeah. nobody thinks about it that way because right. it's kind of been yeah. unpicked. Well, because they undid- never, never sheds a tear about a woman, but a car, yeah. But but and and then they undo it and they undo it like at the almost at the very start of the film when Bonds you know visits Q and like you see them rebuilding. It's like why are they rebuilding it? What? First of all, there shouldn't have been anything left to rebuild based on that explosion. Okay. We'll we'll wait until they start work on on Bond 26, but then it's time for a new open letter. (laughs) (laughs) No BB5. One thing that I. Well, you know what we just need to do, David? We need to go fund me enough money to buy Aston Martin, (laughs) and and then we can retire it. (laughs) Hmm. One thing that I actually did like about Spectre has nothing to do with the film. I know we've been talking a lot about the marketing posters for No Time to Die, which I don't think are very good. Um, I'm just going to throw out my, <laughs> my, my opinion right there. I've seen better you. better fan art out there on 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 No Time to Die and, and all the Craig Garrett films. Um, anyways, um, but I did like the Spectre poster where you had the broken glass, like the shotgun and the glass with the black background and it was like specter i actually love that as being a marketing uh sort of image or tool or plug yeah because that came from the from the actual launch at at pinewood didn't it when they when they unveiled that so and it also had calls back to honor majesties with the Mm, bullets in the glass yeah 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 yeah. no it's how they were thinking about it at the time that they revealed that and then decided not to do it Mm-hmm. Mm. And 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 then actually in the film you you get the same pattern in the glass as well. So uh, mm-hmm. that that would uh, yeah I think that would that was really smart. I I did and, like that. Yeah. And and the pattern kind of resembled an octopus. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. certain yeah. So if the poster respect is one of the best things about it, and the posters mm-hmm. are one of the worst things about the Daniel Craig era, I think we're really. <laughs> Scraping the barrel here. <laughs> I thought I would give something positive. <laughs> uh, but, I, you know, in, in terms of my final take of this, look, y'all, I'm not a fan of this movie. And I think, again, I, I said it on the last podcast, my issue is that there's so much potential here. There's so many things that they could do. And the, and the fact that they didn't do them, I think, just draws attention to just limitations in terms of the conceptual design of this film. And maybe it means different people being brought in or, you know, changing the way that you do things. But this was a very backward looking film when the last film Skyfall was just opening up and being like, this is the new world for Bond. Where are we going to go? We're going to go back to his past again. And I feel as though this has sort of been the, 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 the quicksand that Daniel Craig's Bond has definitely been just trudging through is his past and everything, every aspect of this film, everything is so deeply personal. And yet in this film, I don't feel any emotional connection to any of it. And I think that's the problem. If you're going to do something that is going to yeah. be connected to him, I have to feel it. And I did it. Maybe Bond watching that tape of Vesper Lynn would have made me connect more. But I just, mm. I, I didn't connect with Madeline Swan and her role. I didn't connect with Blofeld. I do think Daniel Craig did what he could with what he had. But overall, it just, it like you said, like it, it's alchemy, right? Like, like the pieces they did mm-hmm. not, glue it's it's not as if they don't fit together they're not staying together with the right type of glue and 
yeah, I'm, I'm very, very hopeful from what we've seen thus far for No Time to Die that maybe we've, we're, we're, we're just pushing in a different, I know it's going to be looking a little bit backwards, but hopefully just pushing a little bit more forwards, a little bit more outward, and maybe I'll have a, a greater connection to some of the characters in that film. Yeah, I, I'm, I've been a little bit maybe too vocal about, I think fans give the producers a little bit too much credit sometimes on these kind of things. Um, but correct me if I'm wrong, guys, because I don't watch really, definitely not one of these and half of the other ones, which is Star Wars franchise has had an up and down experience of movies lately, right? The last few. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Late, lately, yeah. Lately. Uh, ever, same, uh, ever since after 1983. Right. With the same, <laughs> yeah, but with the same ownership production structure, right? But mm-hmm. they've been uneven. Marvel, on the other hand, has been a lot more even handed in their output. Uh, is that fair to say? Like, yeah, especially mm. timeline, same production. Whereas with Bond, it it's almost like it flip flops every other. It's mm. like mm-hmm. so. How much of it is their hands on the wheel, and how much of it is just dumb fucking luck? Oh God! I, to a certain extent, I would say that part of it is uh, that Eon. Ha- doesn't seem to have a long-term vision for Bond. No. And mm-hmm. So they, they, they don't really know what they want to do with it, and, and they're just do it, they're doing it one film to the next. And so, you know, you do all the retconning and so on, and they say, oh, yeah, of course we planned this. Yeah, well, bollocks. But... Um, <laughs> the, but just, well, just wait till you see the next wave of bollocks. Yeah, I've seen well, it. It, but then, it takes bollocks to a new level. And then... <laughs> well, I, then I, I also think uh, MGM also is part of the problem because there's no stability there either. So, right. uh, you know, we with Sony, uh, I, I think Bill's, Bill was saying earlier, no, you were saying, James, you were saying earlier that, you know, with, with, with Sony that, um, you know, you could, you could kind of rely upon them and, uh, and yes. I, I, and I think that actually was a very important relationship, maybe particularly with Barbara Broccoli, because at, at the time, uh, Sony was helmed. Well, she, well, she, I don't she had a friendship I, with uh, Amy Pascal. Yeah, yeah. Of, and uh, I, I think Amy Pascal's hand on the tiller, of the Craig era has been vastly underestimated. Yeah. The decisions that we have not been party to mostly about her input into the Craig era. Yeah. I think the, when, the, books, the, when books are written in decades to come, and then she's taken out the equation on this one a little yeah, bit. Yeah. It doesn't surprise me at all. It doesn't surprise me at all. I, I always, I, I always had that idea. And the Sony hack, I think when it came out, a lot of people saw Sony as the villains of that mm-hmm. piece when they're complaining about the budget and they're complaining about the third act and they're complaining about the rewrites and they're complaining that it's not ready and all this. Bit. So, yep, they were probably right. Mm-hmm. Right. And and also, I've read some of that stuff that came out of the hack and it seemed like they were pretty respectful to Eon. It's like, okay, here's a problem. But let's talk about how we can solve the problem. Yeah, you know, in like, other words, do we yeah. really want to watch Bond see Tanner kill himself? Probably right. not. Mm. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> so my point is, this film would have been like wildly different had Sony not had um, had a say in it, and if it was just left at MGM and Eon, right? In fact, there was another executive other than Amy Pascal. She had like worked with them, I think, on Skyfall, and then. 
she had gone gotten a producer deal, but she was still doing stuff on Spectre on, That's right. for the Sony side. And I forget her name, but that you know somebody else again, somebody else who's like you know pointing out problems, but also pitching you know solutions. And um, but also just real quick in something David said about planning, I mean. That was the one thing that kind of Marvel did was actually have a plan. Now, that plan would have gone to smithereens had Iron Man bombed the box office in 2008. But, you know, they did have a plan and they executed on the plan. So um, I don't think you need to do a Marvel style plan, but it would be like, I don't know, maybe plan a three picture arc. Yeah. Well, if <laughs> you're going to be doing this and bringing back the elements and, and and all this like i think it's just that the nature of these kinds of franchises has changed and if you're going to do this kind of stuff you need to plan it it's not like the 70s and 80s where it's like ah, oh, just do one every two years and it'll be fine and then for an audience it's like you know yeah there's going to be another one in a couple of years if i don't like this one that's fine there'll be another one i might like that whereas now the gaps are so big and these things last like like i say spectre has been the new one for five years and that's uh, yeah yeah and i don't think the gaps would matter so much if they were doing episodic films like mm. you know where there's no line but, but the, the, the fact that they're trying to do the continuity and having these huge gaps is like right it, it extend it accentuates the issues even more well that's one that of my, my main problems with the ending of specter is that it's so it tries to have it both ways in that it is this sort of like majesty's secret service they're driving off and it's the first time in craig's entire tenure that he's you know driven off with the with his female co-star and that it, 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 it it's a but but then there's all this stuff with q being like oh i thought you'd gone and what does gone mean like gone right. you're on leave you've quit like what he's going off with the db5 it feels very final but also not it's really strange um and i think that just speaks to the lack of foresight that they had for what they were going to do next like maybe craig wouldn't come back and maybe this would have been the, <laughs> it, it, it's like in the daniel craig era it's like daniel craig bond one new secret agent daniel craig bond four uh just about retired and if you go back to <laughs> sean connery it's like um sean connery uh bond one good head of hair uh, <laughs> bond, <laughs> sean connery bond for even better head of hair <laughs> if only there was some kind of online blog that i could go to to uh, <laughs> read about this in more detail uh, <laughs> yeah well <laughs> yeah, but you point out, it's like they, had to, there. they had to write the ending such that, well, we don't know if he's going to come back, so we'll have to have it so that you could read into it that he's done. But we also want to leave it open-ended in case we can convince him to come back. Mm. Yeah, but I've got a huge... money down on one or the other, you know. I, I, I've mm. got a huge issue with the ends of both Skyfall and Spectre because um, they they... They both, uh, well, in, in fact, well, I'll, I'll take it back to Quantum of Solace with, with Mark Forster. He, he didn't, he, he changed the ending or, or the version of events that I remember is that he yeah. changed the ending because he didn't want to force the, the director of the next film to right. go along his path. He wanted to leave leave that director freer to do whatever he, want, he or she wanted to do. Um, with Sam Mendes, both times he's got all these kind of extended endings which do nothing except do exactly that and force the hand of the, 
the person who follows. So yeah, no wonder he didn't mm. want to uh, want to initially follow up Skyfall because he'd he'd boxed the the next film into a certain way of doing things, and he did and even worse inspector because uh you know and he, he said oh yeah because it's obvious that uh, it seems like it's it's daniel's last film and it's natural blah 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 but if you hadn't had that ending there it wouldn't feel like that and in fact some of the memos that came out in the leaks referred to this being bond's final mission because you'd see a passage said well if this is bond's final mission well what about this what about that um, yeah. Again, you know, bringing up problems, trying to solve the problems. Um, so, so at least unofficially, like at least in their communications with their studio, they were talking about this was Bond, meaning I assume Daniel Craig Bond's final mission. So at least this was a notion. Um, you know, it'd be I'd be really curious to see what the pitch was that Logan had for the two part movie. Um, I think it was pretty much this cut in half yeah. because um, his original ending was the whole rev- of part one was going to be oh Oberhauser isn't really Oberhauser because we found a passport with his name changed on it during some MI5 PowerPoint presentation <laughs> yeah. oh, no I'm not kidding yeah. and part two was well we know who Blofeld is now Right, because during the production of Skyfall, John Logan was in some kind of public appearance. He said, well, James Bond should fight Blofeld. So that caused some fans to wonder, yes. oh, could Blofeld be in Skyfall? Well, of course yeah, he yeah, wasn't. And he backtracked on that, didn't he? And it was yeah. like, oh, yeah, no, I'm not saying that he's going to be in the, the next film. Right, but but that that leads me to think that, you know, that's that was, you know, a two-part thing was kind of what he had in the back yeah. of his mind while they were doing Skyfall. Uh, and then he made his pitch, and it must have been a great pitch because they they bid on it. Then then, then the uh, then the problems began actually tr- turning the pitch into a story. Well, and then they had to wait a year for Mendes as well. Right. Well, and that, that's something else because you know in the old days, in the Cubby Broccoli days, I mean Cubby Broccoli was known as a pretty tough negotiator. And it's like, you know, some director, oh, I'm not sure I want to come back. Okay, fine. I'll go to the next guy. You know, I mean, he he was not afraid to, you know, end a negotiation. Uh, whereupon, oh, we got to wait till Sam. It's like, you know, I mean, supposedly they had had some talks with some people, including Christopher Nolan. But I, I just can't imagine their hearts were in it because I think they were just convinced that Sam was the guy. Sam yeah. went. Sam had the magic key that could unlock the lock, and I don't know. Sam also had the magic key that got him out of doing any publicity for this film. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing says quality. I remember talking to some of the other guys when we were, you know, around the publicity time, and it's like Mendes pretty much pulled out of everything for this film. I mean, that if that isn't a a red flag, you know, yeah. 
Well, it was refreshing hearing him on that um, Roger Deakins podcast where he did kind of talk quite candidly about it and just felt like he didn't really have much of a handle on it. And he isn't like, you know, he's not like Roger Spottiswood, for example, who can kind of come into something. There's no script, but okay, we're going to put together something that is going to resemble two hours of entertainment and people are going to enjoy that, hopefully. So here we go. It's Sam Mendes needs to have his story. He needs to have his themes. He, need to have, he needs to have his cerebral sort of uh, musings about it kind of before he goes into it and i guess he just didn't have that with this and so this is what we get so a question for you all um casual bond fans in your life because we all have them you know like the uh oh that's the one with the underworld car in it those kind of fans right um mm-hmm. that we all know they're all kicking around they always ask us when the new movie's coming out and stuff <laughs> how many of them do you think are going to remember enough about this mm-hmm. for no time today to make sense oh none absolutely none. Mm-hmm. yeah So yeah, which, knowing, which that is, they had, knowing that they had this big delay because they were only you know they were rewriting it last year, right? No time to yeah. die. They knew that the film was going to have a five year gap by the time it came out, and yet they doubled down on the whole backlinks to. Uh, and in fact, uh, Kerry Fukunaga did an interview where he used the phrase "the joys of continuity," which was like the first time I saw joys and continuity in the same sentence. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, so yes, I mean absolutely doubling down and and even like making that a part of you know at least their talking points and interviews and such Mm. i I think they must regret uh delaying from valentine's day this year though oh yeah (laughs) that's the old the the winner out of this whole scenario is danny boyle who must just be like he sleeps at night you know (laughs) dodge that one (laughs) told you so I think you're right about con- about this notion of continuity. Like I think about, you know, the amount of content that I have to screen for work and then it personally, you know, my Netflix account, my Amazon account. I can't come back to a series that I've watched two months ago and remember what happened. Like I have to see some sort of like like redo, like that's, right. like that's what we jokingly called one of the podcasts. It's like previously on James Bond. Like I I mean, you, you need something like that. And and five years, the amount of films that people have screened that are like the amount of film Marvel films that have come out in that time period and the amount of content that people have watched. I don't think people, unless you are a super fan or really love Spectre are really going to make those types of connections. Um, I I don't know. I don't know how it's going to go over. Well, this is just it. I wonder if Marvel has like, I've seen most of the Marvel films like once at the cinema most times. I can't remember any of the terminology, the stones that they're after the, is Patronuses or whatever it is that they're after. I, I, I never remember any of it. And yet I still kind of just go with it. And, I, you know, I do have a good enough time, even though I don't really know all of the sort of stuff. And I stay to the end credit scene and I'm like, I have no idea what that was about, but um, I still enjoyed the experience. And I don't know if that's kind of changed expectations <laughs> in some yeah, way. And, and, you know, it, it can work as its own self-contained thing. And I, I, I think Kerry Fukunaga is a savvy enough and self-aware enough filmmaker that he will address that. Well, he's, of course, has worked in streaming TV series. So he has experience in trying to sustain a storyline across like 10 episodes or whatever. 
Yeah, I'd um, say that's the easier job, though, Bill, because yeah. you can binge watch that. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. But Netflix, I'm thinking the, the, the entire Bond series should be flipped from from a one to twenty five. Because if we'd started with with um, No Time to Die, and then there was a one year, you know, I'm 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 I'm, flip, I'm flipping them, but then we've got the the um, the same. Uh, time gap between films so that you've got uh, a series of films with a one-year gap between them and that makes complete sense and but now with five years gap we need uh standalone films Mm. right yeah that was my point it's like why double down on the continuity Mm. if you know you've got this big gap already i mean it's like you're taking something that was weak to begin with yeah (laughs) adding memory loss on top of it and not the good kind, you know, not the blowfield memory loss, but yeah. you know, the audience right. memory loss. Yeah, and I think Spectre was like, I mean, it was already kind of shoehorned, retconned anyway, and then you're doubling down to put more shoehorned retcon on the shoehorn retcon. So it might work. The whole somebody came to my house as a kid and I found the gun under the sink thing. I mean, to hang an entire plot of another movie off that. Oh, by the way, I know I'd shoot a gun. Comment is it might work. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what was funny though is when the first shots of that came out of no time to die when the first images came out uh, every fan knew that's what that was <clears throat> but i don't think the audience as a whole will it no. might not matter like like i said it might work as its own self-contained thing uh and and it yeah may well you might not even have to have had seen specter for it to work yeah, well, just right. just wait till the uh, the tabloids uh, get a whiff of that, and they say, "Oh, yeah," because oh, nobody knows this, but in in No Time to Die and the, all this, and if you refer back to Spectre, you'll, it's referred to, so they they were planning this all along. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, the human condition is evolved to spot coincidences, right? That's how we learn. Yeah, so. We'll ignore the 99% of the movie that's not retconned. Mm-hmm. That wasn't planned. All right, so uh, other than you, David, who have positive feelings for some of it for inexplicable reasons. Yes. Um, no, not, not very much <laughs> of the second half, I've got to say. Yeah, it, it, it's definitely, uh, it loses energy after they arrive in Morocco. Yeah. Can we do highlights and lowlights to wrap this up? Oof. What's your one thing that you really like and the one thing that you would delete? Of the movie as a whole or of the second yeah. movie? Movie okay. as a whole. Okay, that's good. I like Bond telling the uh, the security guard to sit. <laughs> and that's about... I'm literally into, like, seconds <laughs> that I, I take from this for enjoyment. Um, if I could remove anything, it would be the whole brother's angle, the whole adoptive parent. Like, my dad taught you to ski and I hate you for this and all that stuff. I just... I can't stand it. Yeah. I'll go next before all of you take all the good stuff. Um, <laughs> not to not to duplicate Calvin. So I would say I really like the pre-credit sequence. I do find it exciting. I do like the long take that you get at the beginning, and I've always found that to be quite fascinating. I remember feeling excited getting into that 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 would be the movie that we were going to get. That this was our level, um, and for me, it didn't necessarily live up to what the pre-title uh, sequence really gave. Uh, in terms of sort of downfalls, I know Calvin mentioned it. I know I've mentioned it in the last one. 
I think that we could have done something a little bit more interesting with the character of Blofeld. I think that it was too expected. I just don't feel as though it was well executed. I would have taken Monica Bellucci. And as we talked about, I would have taken, you know, people who would be more literally in the shadows, somebody that we would completely overlook for all of the movie as being a smarter choice for Blofeld. And then having somebody just a little bit more um, flamboyant sort of doing the performance of the villain while the real villain and sort of sat back. I think that there was just potential there. And I just did not connect with Christoph Waltz and his performance of Blofeld. Sadly, in a, in a, in a movie called Spectre, I, I wish I could. Um, I'll just say, I like a fair amount of actually the first hour or so. Uh, I, I thought, uh, actually, Batista, I thought, made for a pretty good henchman. Mm-hmm. Uh, that whole thing of him blinding that one guy and then breaking his neck, you know, kind of gets your attention. Um, and then when he leaves, uh, abruptly and just you know, a lot of the energy goes out of the movie and it's just, like I said, they were trying to have a balance between classic bond and Daniel Craig bond. And then the second they get to Morocco and especially when they get to the specter call center, that's it just it's it's when the 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 problems begin and particularly the explanation about the foster brother blah 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 just it was my i i I agree uh about the pre-title sequence i think that's great um i i i like a lot of the uh the stuff in italy and the uh the scene at uh the the villa where mm-hmm. where Bond shoots the two assassins, I, I think uh, I, I love that scene. I just love it. Uh, I think it, it's just um, brilliant. And uh, okay, maybe I know nothing about cinema, but I think it's brilliant. And, uh, and although then you know, I, I think she, she's discarded too easily. I don't like the way Bond treats her. So you know, it it has it has some. Uh, issues uh, as well i i i also like i kind of like the, the the early morocco scenes when they're at the hotel but it would have been much much better if they'd slowed everything down and you could have uh if they if they spent more time developing the relationship it would have been it would have made the whole film much more believable i i, I think and it's it it as a whole, there's far too much in the film. They they just didn't know what to get rid of, and you know it's a two and a half hour film, and there's too much in it. It's just like, well, uh, yeah, that that probably is because they were writing two films. Uh, like you, Calvin, there's one little bit that I love more than anything else in this movie, and it's when Tanner and Bond are on the boat and they pull up to the jetty, and Tanner says, "Careful, careful, it's a bit slippery," and Bond just walks like nothing. Like it's fine. <laughs> that is a good. That's moment. like awesome. Um, my downer on this is um, like many of the films that I think we've been critical of is missed opportunities. It's like yeah, absolutely yeah. Monica Bellucci. Whoops, we she's in it for six and a half minutes. Leia Sadu, one fucking brilliant actress. Um, totally underwritten. They don't really give her anything to do. And they give her an impossible hill to climb, which is you've got to get, you, you're introduced like a chunk into the movie and you've got to get 
you got to believe that they're in love with each other by the third start of the third act. I mean, it's like, come on. I mean, it's like Majesties and Casino and you it, use the whole movie for that relationship, and they're wedging it into one act, which is completely and, preposterous. And not only that, but it's like she initially seems to hate him. And it's like, you know what? She's pretty convincing when yeah, she hates Tracy's him. Tracy's not that fond but, of Bond I, at the but, beginning of Majesty's either. And but my, Vesper point, doesn't particularly like Bond at the start of Casino either. You, you, but, you can make it work, but you need to breathe. Well, I mean, you know, the, you know? just the you have to do a U-turn so quickly. I, I, I think I'm actually agreeing with you. It's like you have to <laughs> do that U-turn like so quickly and as opposed to it coming across convincingly. Yeah. Um, Batista, I mean, should have been in the movie for longer. Um, I know you called out like his fingernails thing, Bill. I mean, that's another example of like, what a great idea. And then they jettison it because of the sensors, right? So you only yeah. get to see it a little bit and his old double barrel gun and all this cool shit that they worked out in pre-production abandoned, you know? So to me, it's the, in the multiverse, there's another version of Spectre where they executed the ideas and the people and the talent they had better. And I just think Spectre's like the equivalent of a bad day in the office. <laughs> all the, the same stuff was there. Everything was potential was there, but maybe they all rolled out of bed the wrong way or something mm. for this one. That's what it feels like. Mm. And there's no humor in it at all. Mm. Well, but, you know. th- what little there is, I mean, you've got like that guy driving the Fiat in the middle of the Rome car drive sequence that's yeah but that's that, that's but that's like that's like looney tunes i didn't say it was good humor i'm just I was saying say like, the when bond lands on the sofa that's humor yeah it yeah but that like it's so wedged in though isn't it and out of place yeah i know yeah i wish it, it wasn't there yeah i know i mean reading the script um I thought there was like more there. It was like, oh, like that's uh, the the first uh, Bond M scene uh, right after the titles. Now that reading it, it kind of came across as kind of pretty amusing. Oh, sir, you're going to have a bad day. <laughs> it's like, it's, but uh, I don't know. It just, it. But none of the characters like each other in that scene. Yeah. Mm. Which is odd because they just came off Skyfall where like M throws his trust behind him to go and do the right thing and they're kind of buddies again and they respect each other because Bond realizes that he's not an asshole and all the rest of it. Right. And it's like, we're going to remove all that and we're going to go back to the start of the relationship again. Well, so, of course, at one point they wanted to make M the traitor. Well, that's, yeah. Yeah, I mean, in part... And I mean, that one that just, off a lot, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and also one thing they never address is like, if I were M... And my star agent was obeying my dead predecessor. <laughs> it's like you don't trust me. <laughs> you, you don't. I mean, uh, I mean, you know, and then I mean, I remember getting a discussion. I said, you know, Bond went rogue in this, and someone said, no, he didn't. He was obeying M's orders. I said, the dead M, her authority ended when <laughs> she died. It's right. like, he yeah, but new- the other thing is, he was fulfilling her wish. I get that, and and you know, there's a dramatic reason, but you know, still, there should have been some Where, kind of. Where's the red? Where's the red line on um, wishes after you die being carried out? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like, especially, where when is, pay, especially when you're paying, uh, spending the taxpayers' money to go f- to go fly to Mexico City <laughs> and, and destroy vast vast part of a city block. It's one of the of, one of the reviews that came out when the film first came out mentioned that like Craig in one of his talk chat said like they did kind of like 
ad-lib a few things and they worked on it in rehearsal and all the rest of it. Cause that's Mendes's theater background. Right. Right. And they did do read throughs in rehearsals for this film, which is unusual for a Bond film to do rehearsals right before they've right. actually started shooting. And Craig was telling them, talking that up. And then they point out like the bits that that probably was when he gets the smart blood and he goes, Oh, I'm sure that sounds lovely or something. And it's like, these aren't great. Yeah, that worked really that well, added. didn't it? <laughs> it's like it stands out as clearly that wasn't scripted, but it's just it's just a dud, some mm. of the stuff. So yeah. I'd have liked to see Bond smile a little bit. I mean, he chops the wings off his plane, still crashes and gets the baddies, but he just looks miserable the whole time. I mean it's <laughs> <laughs> there's no wink at the audience through the entire film. And I think that's the important thing. Like, I know we're talking about the gags and like, I I don't know if many Bond films have that smart humor to them. Like, I think there is an element of sort of uh, crap humor to a lot of the things. <laughs> like, obviously, the Tarzan yell in Octopussy, Double Taking Pigeons, Hover Gondolas, I could go on. But I, I, I get a lot out of that and I enjoy it. And it feels like, yeah, we all know this is ridiculous, but there is a knowing quality to it. And it's exactly as you said, James, it's like it's winking at the audience. It's like, we're all in on this together. Let's just have a fun time with it. Whereas Spectre just feels so dour and its attempts at humor are so yeah miserable really um yeah it's just an unpleasant experience and i'm not relishing this like like there are some films that are like so bad that you like to sort of like poke fun at them specter isn't one of those for me i just i i feel very sad (laughs) talking about this um it's not like never say never again for example which i think is pretty fun to sort of poke at and talk about how bad it is but this is just it just makes me sad all right so on that and on that note note, (laughs) note. we've got a sad calvin we need to cheer him up next week (laughs) you only live twice yes Mm. so we're going from one Big hole in the ground to another. Um, <laughs> a blowfield who know where, who knew where to dig a hole correctly, um, right. knew how to dress. And the cat does better acting. Mm. Well, yeah, because the cat's pissed off the entire film, which I'm sure. So. I love it. The cat wants to leave. And and a monorail. Yes. Uh, and crater guy. Mm. <laughs> Opening crater, closing crater. <laughs> so we'll see you all next week for You Only Live Twice. It's our penultimate official watch along oh. next week. It'll be more positive, believe? I promise. Oh, yeah, we're going to have a lot of fun with that one. <laughs> so, so thanks a lot, guys, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Take care. Speak next week.
touch it touch it if you want